1944, the U.S. Army put out a series of cartoons about three brothers. There was Private Snafu. Situation normal, all f***ed up. This is Snafu. Private Fubar. F***ed up beyond all recognition. Oh, Brad and Then there was Tarfu. Totally and royally f***ed up. Well, here's Seaman Tarfu. Snafu and Fubar quickly became part of the national lexicon, but poor old Tarfu was forgotten. For 87 years, he labored in obscurity until America finally became just f***ed up enough for him to be reintroduced. Today, America is beyond Snafu and Fubar. Today, America is Tarfu, and you're listening to the Tarfu Report. Hello, I'm Matt Taibbi. I'm Alex Perrine. And this is the Tarfu Report. Thank you for joining us in our inaugural week. And this is a big week in the week of news. Obviously, Russia is the big story. Uh, yeah, Russia, big story. One of the biggest in the country right now. Uh, some well, of you, one of the biggest? <laughs> what would be the other? Yeah. I, I think uh, the other biggest one... The ESPYs? The ESPYs. Yeah, the ESPYs. <laughs> the results of uh, last night's uh, MLB All-Star game. Right. Um, which I watched all the way through. As, every, as everyone <laughs> as, does. As every patriotic American did. <laughs> uh, okay. Biggest political story right now is Russia. So uh, my, my colleague, my friend, Matt, Matt Taibbi, has, he's taken a little flack recently. Uh, over the last few months for his last more, more like six months for the last six months yeah. <laughs> for his uh his his counterintuitive some might say heretical some might say uh putin apologist <laughs> take <laughs> on the russia scandal his skeptical his skeptical take on the russia scandal and uh, uh we believe in the discourse here in the tarfu report we believe in uh in fighting a uh, speech with more speech. <laughs> so listen to you. So in the in the interests of the debate, we're going to we're going to let Matt give his entire theory of the Russian case, his explanation for uh, why he thinks it's it's been perhaps overplayed. We're going to let him just give his whole take on Russia and get it out there just so that This is even more than I was hoping for. <laughs> just so that we can we can have it out there. Just so we can have it out there, all right? All right. This is awesome. Well, okay. I'm so glad that we're doing this because I'm so upset about this issue because frankly, this this story has been overplayed from from minute 1. Uh, this is not just the Perpetuated in the commercial news media, which is cynically gobs and gobs of money off this story, uh, despite uh, the fact that they're one issue with another and fact with non fact and unsourceable information with sourced information, government sources and credulity of the sort that we haven't seen since the run up to Iraq. Some of the best investigative journalists in this country uh, are the ones who are sitting uh, But people like uh, Glenn Greenwald and Jeremy Scahill and, of course, the great, uh, the great Seymour Hirsch, people like that are all the... And it's everybody else who is swallowing wholesale the fictions of the, uh, the deep state narrative forward so uh i think we've all had enough and it's time for some open-mindedness as we go forward with this with this thing all right well we might as well just talk about it then right? yeah let's just talk about it yeah. all right because this this is a huge story and and it's know. getting weirder too it's like getting 
I mean, yeah, it's it's getting weirder, and and actually, I'm I'm kind of looking forward to talking about this. I, believe it or not, I actually have something to contribute on this story because I I actually know who Natalia Veselnitskaya is, and and I <laughs> I had a very strange encounter with one of her colleagues just a couple of months ago, so um I have I might have a little bit of insight in the story, but let's just go back to the beginning. Where did this all start? Well, um. When the Soviet Union fell, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> American economists and academics. The earth uh, was a molten sea. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. uh, so the Times had this big story beginning of the week, which started the first iteration of the story was Donald Trump Jr. took a meeting with this Russian attorney and took the meeting because he got an email that said that they wanted to help the Trump campaign, basically, and they had dirt on Hillary. And the first version of the story just had, like, a description of the email by people who – we don't even know if they'd read it, I don't think. But it was a description of the email. That was the first version of the story. And then over the course of the day, with help from Donald Trump Jr. and whatever legal advice he's getting, the actual email chain comes out. And it basically is an email that explicitly says – um, I, we're hold, we want to hold this meeting as part of our and the Russian government's campaign to help your father win the election. Um, but then it's like, we have dirt on Hillary. The email says, and then, um, do you want this dirt we have on Hillary? And Trump, not only Trump Jr., not only is like, yes, I love it. He says, I love it. Um, he, he also ropes in Paul Manafort, who was managing the campaign at the time, and Jared Kushner, Trump's son-in-law, who is the only one of these people who's currently in the White House. Right. And then they all take the meeting. All three of them go to the meeting. And then the, according to the various accounts, you know, Manafort was not really paying attention and Kushner left after a few minutes. But the meeting happened, um, again, according to the accounts of the, of the people who were in the meeting or accounts of people who know about it. Whatever the dirt was that was promised on Hillary wasn't anything actually worthwhile. And well, actually, we know more about what that is now, but that, but yeah, well, according to them anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's substantively what the story is. And, and of course, the thing that everybody's saying now is is that the act of uh, of taking the meeting, um, you know, constituted, uh, you know, depending on who you're listening to, uh, treason, a violation of law, violation of election laws, um, you know, trading with a foreign adversary, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so there's, um, you know, obviously it's a it's a little bit different than the original narrative, which was trading policy favors for uh, assistance with hacking the DNC or whatever but still you know this is this is the most fire that they've gotten out of all the smoke so far and everybody was very upset about it including um a former Bush administration official, uh, Richard Painter. Trump Jr. Uh, and Jared Kushner were apparently both of them involved in this. And this was an effort to get opposition research on an opponent in an American political campaign from the Russians who are known to be engaged in spying inside the United States. We do not get our opposition research from spies. We do not collaborate with Russian spies unless we want to be accused of treason. And I can say I worked for two and a half years as the chief ethics lawyer of the Bush administration. The Bush administration never would have tolerated this. And if this story is true, we'd have one of them, if not both of them, in custody by now. And we'd be asking them a lot of questions because this is unacceptable. This borders on treason. If it is not, it's self-treason, depending on whether the New York Times story is true. 
but this is a very, very serious situation. We should not tread, uh, treat this lightly. And the fact it was a 10-minute meeting is irrelevant. You can accomplish a lot by way of damaging your own country, assisting an adversary in espionage inside the United States in 10 minutes. And we need to make sure this never happens again. It does. It raises a question of how much espionage you can accomplish in ten minutes. Yeah, it feels like it's like <laughs> like a, espionage. Is it, is, it a, is it more of a marathon or a sprint? Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, maybe in the social media age, you never know. I mean, maybe in my, in my day, espionage took hours, yeah, exactly, hours. yeah, yeah, and then you know, exactly, yeah. It, it, it's maybe it's compressed now. It's more of like a Pilates version of uh, <laughs> of espionage. But um, yeah, and you know, of course, there's the whole you know. Treason is pretty specifically something that we talk about when we're in a declared war with another country, but um, yeah, but and you can X that out with the Soviet national anthem. <laughs> uh, um, exactly, yeah. But uh, so clearly, it couldn't be that. But um, but anyway, the, the, this of course has led to a back and forth, and and the lawyer Natalia Veselnitskaya, uh, she she's had a, a number of interviews since then, and this is one where she talks to uh, NBC News in June. You met with Donald Trump Jr., with Jared Kushner, with Paul Manafort. What was the purpose of that meeting? I never knew who else would be attending the meeting. All I knew that Mr. Donald Trump Jr. was willing to meet with me. I could recognize the young gentleman who was only present in the meeting for probably the first seven to ten minutes, and then he stood up and left the room. It was Mr. Jared Kushner, and he never came back, by the way. And the other individual who was at the same meeting was always looking at his phone. He was reading something. He never took any active part in the conversation. That was Mr. Manafort. Good translation. And I guess before we, we talk seriously about this, there's yeah. this one small little subplot about all, all of these. Uh, this story has continually cycled. There's been lots and lots of sort of scandals that have dominated whole news cycles. And for me, one of the interesting parts is that every time anything happens – Alan Dershowitz appears somewhere to say that no- nothing is against the law. Yes, uh, yeah. So, so uh, he had a whole bunch of those this week uh, and dating back. So we just want to play you a couple of those those moments. President Trump weighed in on this, uh, also tweeting this earlier. Uh, James Comey leaked classified information to the media. That is so illegal. Alan, what is your take on that? Well, I think President Trump is making the same mistake that his critics make. A, he's rushing to judgment about whether something is illegal, and second, he's trying to criminalize political differences. He doesn't like Comey. Nobody likes Comey. The Democrats don't like him. The Republicans don't like him. But I'm not so sure that what he did was illegal. But don't forget that James Comey... So it, it, what's what's hilarious about Dershowitz is that it doesn't matter who he's talking about. Yeah. It's whether it's Trump calling somebody, saying somebody else committed a crime, or somebody saying that Trump committed a crime, uh, Dershowitz appears almost, almost like instantaneously to say, <laughs> to say that it wasn't a crime. So, uh, uh, way back in, uh, I guess in May, he had another thing where he was talking about Kushner meeting with the Russians. Alan, first, what do you think this means? Scrutiny versus being investigated. I mean, we know there are so many questions being asked as it relates to the Trump campaign and ties to Russia, we knew Jared was going to be asked a lot of questions. 
Of course, I don't see this as a <clears throat> major development. For me, as a civil libertarian, it raises great concern because we have a special counsel with a mandate not to investigate crime, but to investigate the entire Russian, quote, matter. And in general, prosecutors are given statutory authority to investigate only federal statutory crimes. I have no idea what crime is being investigated here. It is not a crime for a political campaign to coordinate with a foreign government. Perhaps. Okay. Anyway, we, we could go on and on. There's yeah. like 19 There's of these. More. Yeah. yeah. What I like tracking where he's appearing on the, on, in a studio from. The first one was like via Skype from Martha's Vineyard. Right. And the second one was at the Harvard Kennedy School. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think they should have, they should have him like, um, you know, like floating from like a space station, yeah. you know, or like in the middle of Death Valley, like that, they, they should start switching it up. It's, uh, it's yeah, but so, I mean, Dershowitz's, I think, guiding principle is the form of civil, civil libertarianism where you, um, don't think anything is illegal as long as it's done by someone who might someday hire you. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Nothing a person who could hire me might do right <laughs> is is a crime right right I, I love the way he talks about the oj case now because now now that it's in the past and he's not there's no there's no fees involved with it yeah. it's it's you know it happened because the the pro, the prosecution was incompetent <laughs> yeah. uh but uh no, this is the, it, it's funny so joking aside what's your what's your take on on this whole thing uh like everything else it, the debate gets not purposefully except in some cases it gets really confused about um so this is what Dershowitz. It gets confused about legality and like matters of the letter of the law instead of being like a sort of easier to follow narrative about what happened. And so, so far, the best case I've seen people make is that he violated campaign finance law, which is absurd because you know what the, what, what's the punishment for violating campaign finance law is, is they, they just dis, like destroy the organization that enforces campaign finance law. Right. Yeah. Like that's, yeah. that's how seriously we take campaign finance law, um, violations. But I think in terms of the narrative, I think it, it clarifies a little bit for me. And I was, I, I have been skeptical of the grand collusion conspiracy in the sense that I don't think that, um, the Trump campaign had it together enough to like work in concert with foreign intelligence to specifically hack these targets and then distribute the results of these hacks in this really canny way. Um, I did, I have always thought that like, yeah, Russians did these hacks. They clearly like, uh, the Putin clearly hates Hillary Clinton and like always has. And, um, it would be pretty normal, uh, intelligence work. To like try to fuck with the election because it's sure. a thing intelligence agencies do. Yeah, we do it. Nothing yeah, it's a thing intelligence agencies do. So I don't think it's controversial to, to say like, yeah, like Russia did the hack and then was trying to influence the election. The collusion part, like I never thought – I thought um, there was like tacit appreciation on the part of Trump people. I thought that was like – they knew what was going on and they were like, yeah, all right. That's good. If you want to yeah. do that, if you want to help us out, go ahead, help us out. Right. Um, the one part now that I, I am like, all right, I think they, maybe it's just Donald Trump Jr. being an idiot, but like the fact that the, the, I just love the line in the email. It's like, this is part of our, our, our state sponsored <laughs> effort. sponsored effort. <laughs> and Trump is like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, like that is the line where it's like, I don't, I don't fucking know. Like, it, yeah. but I, I, I still, I still want to follow like narratively. The cleanest version that still like says, like yeah, the Russians did this, and the and the Trump campaign was happy for the help. But I don't know how I don't know how 
it went beyond that. Yeah, I mean, the, the, my issue with that has always been, and wait, don't don't do the anthem here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, the, the the part of it that didn't scan for me was there's no upside for the Russians to include the Trumps in that in the conspiracy. They yeah. they could just do it. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, and the Trumps can be happy to receive the help and and. Um, but you know, you never, I, I guess you never know, but, but this, this, this story is, um, uh, it's, it's very interesting. This particular, the, the, the part that is a little odd for me, uh, with, with this story is, and, and frankly has been an issue for me a lot with, with the story is the, you know, the Kremlin connected lawyer, uh, <laughs> which, which is a generalization that everybody makes. And, and there, there's a, it, you know, I talk with a lot of other people who either lived or worked in Russia or Russian reporters themselves. Uh, you know, Americans have the wrong metaphor about Russia. Russia isn't the godfather where Putin gives an order and everybody does it. Uh, Russia's more like Goodfellas where it's a mobster at the top and a whole legion of freelancing scumbags underneath <laughs> who throw, who kick money upstairs. Yeah. That's, that's kind of more what it is. And this particular crew of people uh, Veselnitskaya, her boss is this guy named Denis Katsiv, who runs a Cypriot-based company called Prevazan. And it's actually kind of important to understand this story because it's the background for the entire collapse in Russian-American relations. Um, this goes back to a case involving an American billionaire named Bill Browder, who, um, they have these things called Raiderski Zahwati, which are, uh, uh, raider attacks where basically like regional, uh, mobsters will go into a company, forcibly take over the place and then sign over all the company papers to themselves <laughs> and steal the company. Uh, and that is the, that is the version of a hostile takeover in Russia, right? And so this happened to the subsidiary companies a couple of subsidiary companies belonging to an American billionaire uh, named Bill Browder uh, uh, some time ago. And one of the ways that they made they make money through this scam is that before they take over the company, they overcharge the companies in taxes, right? And then when they take over the companies, <laughs> they get a tax rebate from the uh -huh. state, right? So it's a, it was a tax fraud scam. These, these, these uh, gangsters took over this company. They get the rebate. And when Browder, you know, has a meeting with his accountants one day and he's like, so where, what's the revenues for this company? And it's like, oh, well, that company's gone. It was, it was taken <laughs> from us. Uh, this is his account of it anyway. And one of his, his lawyers, this guy, Sergei Mag Magnitsky, investigates it and he allegedly pins it on, uh, this group of people who are like kind of connected to the Kremlin. Magnitsky, in the course of investigating, is him himself arrested by the state and charged with the crime of the tax fraud. <laughs> he ends up staying in jail for a year, uh, is, and he dies in custody, allegedly after being tortured and refused medical treatment. This inspires Browder to lobby the American government to impose human rights sanctions on, on all of Russia, right? Uh, this law called the Magnitsky Act actually passes, uh, among other things, allowing the United States to freeze the assets of anybody involved in these kinds of raids. Uh, it angers the Russians so much that they pass a law banning adoptions of right. Russian children, yeah. if you remember this. I think right? people yeah, remember that. Yeah. yeah, okay. So this, this, if you remember correctly, remember when 
uh, Obama and uh, Mitt Romney argued about Russia in yeah. the debate. Yeah. And Romney's like, Russia's the biggest threat. And Obama's like, you know, the 80s want their foreign policy back. Yeah. <laughs> so we were cool with Russia, like literally through the debates yeah. in, in, during, in that election. Well, this, this law was passed just a couple of months after that. Right. Right. And that it started this furious war between the two countries where they passed the adoption thing. And to make a long story short, these scumbags, uh, Veselnitskaya and Katsiv, they started this like Russian American adoption fund. And basically what they've been doing for years now is going around to American politicians and saying, oh, we love the children so much <laughs> um, and you should love the children and we want so badly for American adoption, Americans to be able to adopt our poor Russian sick children yeah. and all you have to do is drop the sanctions. <laughs> is re yeah, repeal the Magnitsky Act. Right? Exactly, yeah. so that we can, you can unfreeze for, our assets. For the children. For the children. For the sake of the children, you have to unfreeze the assets of gangsters. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and so that's their whole game is that these people is, is they go around making this like kids for money pitch, yeah. right? And um, I, I I had the misfortune uh, when I heard I, I when I heard a long time ago, like in in February, that this group Prevazan had hired Fusion GPS, mm -hmm. you know, the same company that that commissioned the Steel Report. Yeah. When I heard that they had hired Christopher Steele, uh, that they'd hired Fusion GPS at the same time that Fusion GPS had hired Christopher Steele, I was curious about it, and I I went to go interview one of their people, maybe hoping to find out a little bit more about the origin of the Steele report, and they and they invited me sort of, <laughs> and it's similar to what happened to Donald Trump Jr. <laughs> they they kind of led me to think that I was going to get like the scoop on, yeah. you know, the Steele report. And yeah. then when I got there, they basically bored me to death for <laughs> fucking hours with this kids for hostages, uh, kids, yeah. kids for sanctions pitch. And that's, which is just a long winded way of saying that these people are really like fourth rate. Like they're the yeah. equivalent of like the lawyer for the Staten Island borough president or something like that. And to call them Kremlin connected is a little, it's, it's not. Well, it's one of those things where if we heard another country referring to our politics, the way we refer to other countries' politics, we would find it very silly sounding. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm trying to think of a, it's hard now when like an actual like cartel runs a country, but it would, but right. you know, it'd be like you know, calling any, um, Democratic donor who did anything like someone like close to Obama, right? You know, or like, but I mean, I, the connection is a little different in Russia because it's a, it's a kleptocracy basically, but right. Um, but I, it is it, it is genuinely funny that like you and Donald Trump Jr. shared this experience. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think like now now that I, when you told me that story, that sounds like a very plausible. Except you like wanted you wanted the scoop. He wanted like. <laughs> perhaps oppo. but yeah oppo like gotten by any means necessary oppo about hillary clinton right um and then i he got the sales pitch about like repealing the magnitsky act right to help the russian children and and, and it turns out that the oppo that they were offering at least according to the vessel and and this is si very similar to what happened with me um they basically their whole dirt was that Bill Browder, who again is the, is the American billionaire at the start of that very long story that I just told. Yeah. Bill Browder is a Democratic donor and they, and they were saying that he evaded taxes. Uh, that was going to be the big, the big reveal, right? <laughs> like, not, 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 not that it was a hack. And that was similar to what happened to me when I met with them. Like I thought I was going to, and they just ended up talking about what, a, what a, what a 
corrupt person Bill Browder was. So, and it's a it may not be the most interesting story in the world, but but it's um it's just background about who these people are. They're kind of like low rent operators, and they've been they've been lobbying congressmen on this issue for years now. So it's uh, but very strange, very strange that they would appear in the middle of this whole thing. <laughs> but but uh, it is interesting that it's that it's gotten this you know that this far and and it's clearly inspired a lot of Republicans to abandon ship, right? I mean, a, a yeah, lot. I mean, it has inspired a lot of I think Republicans who were not particularly enamored with Trump before to jump ship, and it inspired. But we still have not exactly seen a ton of elected Republicans, like say, right. like I'm not I'm going to stop supporting his entire agenda. Right, right. Well, no, with the agenda, they're never going to stop supporting. Well, no, I don't yeah, think. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very interesting, though. It'll be interesting to see where the where this is by next week. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's a fun new story every. So I think what this is actually one of the things that's annoying to me as a as a consumer of news is you know it's great to get context on who this person is beyond like Kremlin connected right but it is you can't you can't follow this news the way um, it's presented especially on TV news and even in much of the uh, of the much more responsible print press just because people use vague shorthand in in lieu of actual understanding of like how Russia actually operates and right. who these people are right. like what their what the context of these things is right well it's too it's too hard to do that's yeah, that, that's, that's one that's of just the hard yeah yeah, yeah. i and mean like, yeah. there are just so many different subtleties w- with this with this particular thing and um you know it's just hard to know uh, what exactly the truth is and you know there's a famous joke in Russia where Gorbachev gets up late one morning. This was in the eighties. Um, and he, uh, wakes up late. He goes out, um, uh, to his, his, uh, his limo, he sees his, his, uh, limo drivers asleep. So he throws them in the back, gets behind the wheel of himself, speeds off towards the Kremlin, gets stopped by the traffic police. Traffic police, uh, the cop goes to the door, sees that it's Gorbachev, lets him go, goes back to the, to his car. And the other cop says, who was that? And he goes, I don't know, but Gorbachev was his driver. Right. <laughs> and, and in Russia, that's, you never really know exactly what the deal is, whether somebody is an agent of, of, of a person or whether they're, whether it's the opposite relationship or yeah. whether, whether Vetsilnitska is a patsy for, for Putin or whether they, whether they're actually advancing the lobby on behalf of the Russian government or just for themselves. It's just, this is the consistent complaint that I've heard from Russian reporters is that the, the chaotic nature of that state is kind of underrepresented in our reporting. Yeah. And it actually is part of, um, I think, uh, Putin's strategy of inflating his power is by like making it difficult to know exactly what's going on. Sowing chaos like helps hide how sort of pathetic like the actual state is. Yeah, you know? no, of course, and it and it increases his rep. You know, yeah, like like he, like you know, one of the things that's going on now. People are saying that he assassinates journalists left and right, and and look, I I was colleagues with people like Anna Politkovskaya and Yuri Shikachikin, who are no longer with us today, and and. Clearly, lots of journalists have been killed, but it's 
it's never completely clear who's killing who in Russia. You know what I mean? Like it, it, mm. it may be doing somebody doing it to impress Putin in some cases. It may be some other people freelancing. So uh, th- that's another facet. But he's more than happy to take the credit for it. No, exa- no, th- anything that um, makes him look powerful and dangerous. Right. Um, he it helps him. Right. And this is the funny thing about the liberal line on this is that in building up the Russian threat, like they are doing basically what he wants in the sense of um, making him seem incredibly powerful when the sum total of what we know of that is called by U.S. intelligence agencies, the sum total of what they have shown Russian intelligence did was to hack emails that taken in themselves like and not spun by a crazed news media were like mostly harmless yeah Yeah. mostly banal yeah what you know they 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 weaponize them with help from the press and they weaponize them effectively with help from the press but that was like a sort of accident of the campaign season and the republican party not putin but like the conservative movement and the sort of feckless campaign press right yeah exactly yeah yeah um but then it it becomes a story of like the all-powerful russian i mean i i I don't know no look look and there's another element to this that's that's that I think is kind of key. I, I remember when I was there talking to people, you know, sort of like either in the military or who worked for think tanks on both sides. And they were kind of lamenting the fact that the, the kind of semi-friendly nature of our relationship at the time, you know, this is the late nineties yeah. when we, we, when Yeltsin was still in power or, and before Putin was the, the evil enemy, there was a yeah. brief period where that we thought he was a guy we could do business with. That was actually bad for business for, for lots of people on both sides because the, the massive, well-funded enemy who makes lots and lots of expensive weapons, yeah. uh, was a huge boon for, you know, the military industrial complexes of both countries and, and losing that enemy. There was always this idea that the, the two countries might be better off as foes, at least superficially. Yeah. And, I, and I think the, you know, there's, there's a little bit of that going on too. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Like, uh, well, there, are, you know, there's people. I still, you know, there were well, uh, Condi Rice. Uh, her entire academic area focus was the Soviet Union, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like the there are people in the parties who <laughs> were Russia people. <laughs> oh yeah. Like they needed something to do. <laughs> right. Like they really needed. Like they're you know they're part of the foreign policy firmament. And um, a lot of those people have sort of aged out of the Soviet Soviet era at this point. But like, yeah, the Sovietologists are the all Sovietologists old, yeah. are all old now. But yeah. like, they needed something to do. Like, right. they needed like Russia needed to be like a problem, right? Right? <laughs> to right? To justify their think tank positions and and shit like that. Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, and and this, you know, oddly enough, the, I mean, this whole thing is it's it's just it's not clear how it's going to work out. But you know, Russia. Up until recently, look, they spend a tenth of what we spend in the military. We never, recently, we never considered them a serious military adversary, but all of a sudden in the last year or so, they've become this, uh, you know, sort of all powerful, all aggressive, uh, you know, uh, threat. And both sides have been very willing to play that up. You know, and Putin included, mm-hmm. uh, and it's it's been to everybody's, uh, uh, you know, in, in interest. But 
but very very interesting to see where it goes and you know hey i'll be the first one to admit that uh, that i was a jackass yeah i mean i refuse to make i refuse to make any predictions on the story because you don't fucking know what's coming next right and i will say you know my what i'm waiting for and the the part cuz i think there are some people who like feel really vindicated by this the idea of like um the trumps evilly collaborating with evil putin and then cuz that sort of feeds into um, a pretty easy patriotic, like these guys are anti-American story. But what I actually, what I want, I want the the financial stuff. You know, right. the most the most plausible version of the story prior to the latest stuff to me was that Trump relied on them for for money, and that they if they had something on him, it was on his business dealings. Right. And like Kushner, like we know he because he sucks at being a real estate heir which i like no wonder trump likes him so much how do you suck at being a real estate heir in new york, in new york? yeah yeah like exactly. kushner's underwater on 6665th avenue he's been desperately looking for money like if there's a part of this that i want the thread to be tugged at it's like well who like where did like you know i i think that i still think that there's possible possible that like promises were made or money exchanged hands on for, for strictly in that element and not absolutely and, and not on the like because they never thought they'd win even with collusion they never thought they'd win right but they could have gotten a nice payout <laughs> right yeah absolutely and, and and i think it's absolutely natural to assume that russia and and a uh, floundering real estate magnate uh, in the West is a perfect combination yeah. because you have, you have tons and tons of hot capital that needs mm-hmm. to find a legitimate laundered destination. Uh, and it needs to be in a safer environment because you can't invest in Russia because you could be shot or whatever, yeah. you know, or gangsters could, will come in and just take it from yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they'll just, they'll sign over. Yeah. So you got, you got to go overseas. So it's perfect. It, it makes perfect sense that there would be people coming over here and, Maybe buying real estate at an inflated price, yeah. or you know, or whatever it is, or you know that that would make a lot of sense. And uh, the, you know, and when when you know, firing Comey, Kushner, Kushner counsels him to fire Comey, and like, I I gotta think that there's some money laundering thing here that he's scared of being at least being accused of. Of course, but, I mean, every if you're if you're not afraid of a special prosecutor, well, yeah. You're like, an, I mean, yeah. I'm afraid of a special pro- – I mean, everybody <laughs> should be afraid of a special prosecutor. I wanted to talk about this. ProPublica, they do – pro. some people call it ProPublica. I don't know. I'll call it ProPublica. I'll call it ProPublica. They do a lot of really good work. They're um, – uh, you know, they have a little bit of reputation of a sort of eat-your-vegetables investigative reporting, you know, not always sexy. Um, but it's important to highlight we, – we, we used that cliche a lot when we used to work together. Yeah. Like, we're, we're, we're not going to do the eat-your-vegetables. Or, okay. yeah. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. But they do fantastic work, fantastic investigations. Um, and I really think it's uh, – really needed to call attention to their – one of their most recent – Clearly, really important investigations by Justin Elliott, who I actually used to work with a long time ago, and uh, Jesse Eisinger. Um, and their the scoop is that Trump's personal lawyer is too drunk to get security clearance. <laughs> and it's not just Trump's personal lawyer; it's the guy who is like defending him against Mueller, like the guy who is going up right. against like Mueller and his army of 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 investigators. And Trump like picked who imminently are going to end his life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> like they're they're. You know, they're measuring the coffin. Um, so his lawyer, Trump's lawyer is Mark Kazowitz. 
Um, and he has no Washington experience. He doesn't, he's never like worked. He's, he's a, he's a, I mean, he's a big time guy. He's not some like, he's not, he's not Salino and Barnes. He's not, you know, right. Um, he's a big time guy, but he has no Washington experience, no political experience, and he doesn't have security clearance. Uh, so here, I just want to read a little bit of the story. Several lawyers who have represented presidents and senior government officials say they could not imagine handling, like, handling a case so suffused with sensitive material without clearance. Um, I mean, he can't examine evidence against Trump until it's made public without security. So he's got to dry out before he can... Well, it's so the question is, why doesn't he have it? He wasn't rejected for it. He's just never applied for it. And in the story, he's like... The, his his people are like, and we don't really see any reason why he would need to apply for it. So then you start asking, well, why does he think he wouldn't get it? Like they they suggest that he doesn't apply for it because he thinks he wouldn't get it. And then you get to the reason why being that he spent had a stint in rehab, but he like basically he's a day drinker. He's like a he's like an old fashioned like. Okay, I'm gonna read from the story. Yeah, yeah, that might be the better way to go. <laughs> from the start, Kazowitz Benson had a hard drinking culture that its leaders epitomized. It's like a time warp, said one former employee, citing the. First macho scotch drinking fist fighting ethos multiple former attorneys said they saw Kazowitz under the influence at the office an accusation Kazowitz denies associates would vie to join powerful partners in Kazowitz's inner circle during the day at the palm west side the steakhouse just across the street from the firm's offices and more recently at another midtown steakhouse a couple blocks away called gallagher's a framed magazine profile of Kazowitz hangs on the wall across from the bar at the palm Three former employees of the firm recall attorneys having to go across the street to the restaurant during the workday to consult with Kazowitz on work matters as he held court drinking and eating. In response to questions, a spokesman for Kazowitz disputed that, saying he never had a drink during the day at the Palm outside of lunch and dinner <laughs> and never handled firm business while at the restaurant. Wow. <laughs> he disputed drinking during the day, except during lunch and dinner. <laughs> right, except for that. And like lunch sounds like it lasts three hours. Wow. Um, so then they go on to describe a holiday, holiday, the Christmas party 2013. We've all had office Christmas parties that got a little crazy. Um, spouses and significant others were not invited. Kazowitz, according to an attendee, was visibly inebriated, appearing to have a hard time standing on his feet without support. During the festivities, Kazowitz and a much younger woman, not employed by the firm, hit the dance floor. According to multiple eyewitnesses, they danced in intimately in a way many employees felt was inappropriate for a work event. One person described it as dirty dancing. Oh, wow. I love journalism. Like I there's, love there's, there's, investigative journalism. Yeah, exactly. You, <laughs> not, nothing is a secret. I just wanted to say, so I read that story, and it's not just funny because it's like Trump's lawyer is a drunk, but getting security clearance is the easiest thing. Like, right. there are, uh, this was a, a reporter, I think the Post reported this number a couple years ago. Five million Americans have security clearance in some form. Like they in Washington, if you are an attorney, especially if you are an expensive attorney mm -hmm. in Washington, they basically just give it to you. Right. Like there are millions of there are millions of drunks with security clearance. Sure. Like you have to be the sort of person who is just very sloppy about it and and dumb. <laughs> right, 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 right. Like to be like, I I don't know if I'll be able to get security clearance. Well, are we surprised? I mean, look, he's got a son who gets a letter from someone saying you know, would would you would you like to accept the fruits of our state sponsored effort to aid your Circle father's one? Yes, yeah. no. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, exactly. Check here, if right? You would, if you would like, if you would like to collude, yeah, check here. Please, please answer in writing. <laughs> but uh, but hey, you know, I know that I've actually been in that firm. That, that, that oh, Kazowitz Benson. Yeah, yeah. So that that firm has a reputation. Um, New Yorkers love that firm because it's full of a lot of like ex. Uh, New York 
uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's full of a lot of NYPD yeah. types. Um, and it has a reputation of being a firm full of um, like hard-nosed, real investigators with street experience. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, you know, I've I've encountered them uh, in some financial cases where they've done really amazing work, but it it would be very very strange for Donald Trump. Like, why you got money? Yeah. You you probably would have the 30 or 40 best lawyers in the country if they don't hate you for political reasons lining up to do your case for free you know he it's it's part of his like thing where he only wants to work with people whose whose loyalty in a right. very like limited and silly way he can you know rely on yeah he's probably gonna have bo deedle working for him by, <laughs> by, by, by the end of this thing uh, but uh, actually you, 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 i think your idea somebody should make a a movie at, I mean, I think there should be something where Trump hires Selena and Barnes to, yeah. to, to defend <laughs> yeah. him against. Because he watches a lot of TV, he sees the ads. Right? He sees, yeah, he's exactly. Like 800 888 888. He's like. <laughs> With the jingle and everything. He's like, he's like, uh, like Jared, get in here. Write <laughs> like, <laughs> this I down. I hate my lawyers. Yeah, they're not, they're not, they're not doing any good for me. <laughs> get me Selena and Barnes. <laughs> It would be so great. He's he's being deposed by Mueller for some you know treason or whatever. He's got a neck brace on, yeah. right? Uh, yeah, they wheeled him in. And yeah, exactly. Actually, what happened was like I I, I got in a uh, you know I uh, was rear-ended yeah, actually, by, yeah, by the, Putin. The CNN actually. The, <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was the lying media. Actually, I fell I fell down the stairs. Right. <laughs> the lying yes, media exactly. Failed they, to maintain the stairs, and I. I, yeah, yeah, they 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 dropped a slippery substance on the stairs, and I yeah, they failed yeah. to properly maintain that. But wait, who is the lawyer who somebody sued Boston Garden for doing that, right? Oh God, I think, wait, we I got we got, we got to look that up because that was really oh, I think it was Dershowitz. Was it Dershowitz? Wait, yeah, wait, 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 we got to look this up. <laughs> so we found the one thing that is a crime. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's causing Alan Dershowitz to to yeah. fall. <laughs> Yeah, so this this is like this is great. This is like a classic comedy comeback all the way to the beginning, right? So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yes, Alan Dershowitz suing TD Garden for slip and fall. That's right. Yes, he he did he win? I don't know if he won or not, but he he sued. <laughs> he went to a Celtics game, <laughs> and he and he has a slip and fall in the bathroom, <laughs> and uh, he believes he believes. <laughs> The plaintiff believes that for at least 60 minutes before the entry into the restroom, there were no paper towels <laughs> to allow male patrons to dry their hands, <laughs> according to a complaint filed in the Suffolk Superior Court. I love the idea of Alan Dershowitz, like, who has more money than God, going around the country, like, doing slip and falls it's for, awesome. like, yeah, like slipping Jimmy. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's going to, like, throw himself in front of a slow moving car. <laughs> He falls under a Zamboni. Yeah, he's gonna be like, "I'll see you in court." <laughs> like winning, like winning, like ten thousand dollar settlements. <laughs> oh my god, that's fan- yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, and, or whatever he can, he can get from the extant insurance policy of the uh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Gonna, or eight thousand three hundred. Please, please don't sue us, Alan Dershowitz. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that is funny. So, so Trump, Trump's got a lawyer without security clearance. But isn't there a whole like army of people? I mean, I remember when I I, I did a story on um, on his appointees back in I guess it came out in late February, and not only were they not being you know cleared by the ones that had to be cleared by the by the legislature, but the there were armies of people who didn't have clearance yet. 
Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, I mean, clearance comes down to um, whether or not you think you can make it through a lie detector test, in my understanding. Right. And, like, there are some people who can basically be um, huge fuck-ups in every aspect of their lives, but because often because they're sociopaths or psychopaths, they can right. pass a lie detector test. Right. Um, and, but, you know, but there, I mean, that, that also, like, relies on a background check and shit, not picking up the sort of obvious thing. Right. You know, right. so you do, you do actually have to be reasonably good at hiding how, you know, um, fucked up you are, and you have to give them your social so they can run your so they can, your history. Yeah, yeah but exactly. I mean, the, but it is like uh, I think five million people. That's a, like that's so that's so many people. Like right. it can't it can't possibly be that hard. Well, if you got you know if you got a couple of triple homicides in your background and you know <laughs> you don't want to, but uh, amazing. Anyway, yeah. crazy stuff. <laughs> And now, the David Brooks Helium Moment. Hi, I'm David Brooks. And I'm David Brooks. And you're uh, listening to the David Brooks Helium Moment. We're going to do a uh, column this week called uh, How We Are Ruining America. By us, David Brooks. (laughs) How we are ruining America. (laughs) All right. So, David, you want to start? Over the past generation, members of the college-educated class have become amazingly good at making sure their children retain their privileged status. They have also become devastatingly good at making sure the children of other classes have limited chances to join their ranks. How they've managed to do the first task, giving their own children a leg up, is pretty obvious. It's a pediocracy, stupid. Over the past few decades, upper-middle-class Americans have embraced behavior codes that put cultivating successful children at the center of life. As soon as they get the money, they turn it into investments in their kids. Upper-middle-class moms have the means and maternity leaves to breastfeed their babies at much higher rates than high school-educated moms, and for much longer periods. Upper-middle-class parents have the means to spend two to three times more time with their preschool children than less affluent parents. Since 1996, education expenditures among the affluent have increased by almost 300%, while education spending among every other group is basically flat. As life has gotten worse for the rest in the middle class, upper middle class parents have become fanatical about making sure their children never sink back down to those levels. And of course, there's nothing wrong in devoting yourself to your own progeny. It's when we turn to the next task, excluding other people's children from the same opportunities, that things become morally dicey. Richard Reeves of the Brookings Institution recently published a book called Dream Hoarders, detailing some of the structural ways the well-educated rig the system. The most important is residential zoning restrictions. (laughs) Well-educated people tend to live in places like Portland, New York, and San Francisco that have housing and construction rules that keep the poor and less educated away from places like good schools and good job opportunities. These rules have a devastating effect on economic growth nationwide. Research by economists... What is it? Shang Tai Chi? And Enrique... (laughs) You wrote it. Research by economists Shang Tai Chi and Enrico Moretti suggests that zoning restrictions in the nation's 220 top metro areas lowered aggregate U.S. growth by more than 50% from 1964 to 2009. The restrictions also have a critical role in widening inequality. An analysis by Jonathan Rothwell finds that most of the restrictive cities have become the least restrictive. The inequality between different neighborhoods would be cut in half. 
Reeves' second social barrier is the college admissions game. Educated parents live in neighborhoods with the best teachers. They top off their local school budgets and they benefit from legacy admissions rules, from admissions criteria that reward kids who grow up with lots of enriching travel, and from unpaid internships that lead to jobs. It's no wonder that 70% of the students in the nation's 200 most competitive schools came from the top quarter of the income distribution. With their admissions criteria, America's elite colleges sit atop gigantic mountains of privilege, and then with their scholarship pr policies, they saw. They salve their consciences by offering teeny stepladders for everybody else. I was braced by Reeves' book, but after speaking with him a few times about it, I've come to think the structural barriers he emphasizes are less important than the informal social barriers that segregate the lower 80%. Recently, I took a friend with only a high school degree to lunch. Insensitively, I led her into a gourmet sandwich shop. Suddenly, I saw her face freeze up as she was confronted with sandwiches named Padrino and Pomodoro. <laughs> And ingredients like sopressata, cappuccolo, and striata baguette. I quickly asked her if she wanted to go somewhere else, and she anxiously nodded yes, and we ate Mexican. <laughs> American upper-middle-class culture, where the opportunities are, is now laced with cultural signifiers that are completely illegible unless you happen to have grown up in this class. They play on the normal human fear of humiliation and exclusion. Their chief message is, you are not welcome here. <laughs> In her thorough book, The Sum of Small Things, Elizabeth Curreth Halkett argues that the educated class establishes class barriers not, th not through material consumption and wealth display, but by establishing practices that can be accessed only by those who possess rarefied information. To feel at home in opportunity-rich areas, you've got to understand the right bar techniques, sport the right baby carrier, have the right podcast... <laughs> food, truck, tea, wine, and Pilates tastes, not to mention possess the right attitudes about David Foster Wallace, child-rearing, gender norms, and intersectionality. The educated class has built an ever more intricate net to cradle us in and ease, us, ease, every, ease everyone else out. It's not really the prices that ensure 80% of your co-shoppers at Whole Foods are comfortingly also college grads. It's the cultural codes. Status rules are partly about collusion, about attracting educated people to your circle, tightening the bonds between you and erecting shields against everybody else. We in the educated class have created barriers to mobility that are more devastating for being invisible. The rest of America can't name them, can't understand them. They just know they're there. Okay, first of all, we got to mark, so if, if you're a new listener to the Tarful Report, you know that, um, that... We're offering a contest. Well, I'm very lightheaded after all that helium. <laughs> uh, uh, this tank that we're using is 14.9 cubic feet of helium, and we're gonna we're gonna award a um, a copy of Bobo's in Paradise signed by me, David Brooks, and, and me, David Brooks, um, uh, to the f person who guesses how many David Brooks columns uh, are in a tank of helium is contained in this <laughs> tank of helium. So I'm gonna mark it down now. This is number two uh, that we've done. Uh, how we are ruining America. So this 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 is this is one of the better uh, David Brooks columns of all time, and it was great because um, the one paragraph that he wrote, uh, which is probably forever going to be known as the sandwich paragraph, <laughs> uh, instantly made a turn around the internet um, because it was it was so Brooksy. Uh, I I think this is actually better than. Even a classic Thomas Friedman column, this one, yeah. don't you think? Oh, yeah. I mean, the anecdote is it's just so Brooksian in, in, like, the fact that 
Um, I think he he probably made up the most important element of it, <laughs> like, <laughs> right, right. and it it he is using um that telling antidote to like spin a narrative that is like false and uh, everything about it and is, condescending and condescending, yeah, and every right. yeah, it's it's it really is it's ideal, it's ideal Brooks. Yeah, so yeah, I mean, I just love this this fan. I mean, I I hope it is a fantasy. Because if it, because it's just so funny if it is that he, that he's he takes a friend with only a high school degree to lunch, <laughs> uh, and and she just can't handle she can't handle the the pomodoro and the soppressata <laughs> and the baguette up uh, the baguette yeah yeah because that I mean like I, you know that's that's some... she was made anxious by Italian meats right and. I mean, my my take on this is why not just she could have just said you know I'll have what he's having yeah right yeah there are you know um, (laughs) the 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 barriers to ordering the unfamiliar things in a restaurant are real and we shouldn't downplay them (laughs) obviously of course (laughs) because (laughs) we've all been there we've all been there but if you're there with someone who's been there before which I assume David Brooks was you you ask you ask your friend what's good one method. Right. Yeah. Exactly. He could have. He could have tried that, <laughs> or he could have said, "Hey, why don't you try this? Uh, I had this last week. It was great." Yeah. Right. I mean, there's mm-hmm. there's so many things, but instead he just hangs her out to fucking dry, <laughs> right? And writes about it. Yes. Right? right. And writes about it. Right. Yeah. Like, not only did you have this incredibly embarrassing experience where you went into a, a sandwich shop and you you just you were just overwhelmed by the the you know my cultural sophistication and yeah. superiority, um, but but then then. I'm going to go ahead and write about it so that everybody else knows about it, which was just awesome. Yeah. Uh, the In the sort of abuse of another author's like uh, argument too, is another classic Brooks move too, because he takes, I haven't read this Richard Reeves book, Dream Orders, but I, I everything I've seen about it, um, it seems to be making, I think like a, a very defensible argument, which is primarily economic. And Brooks takes the argument and then says like, and then I would like to throw out the structural factors and right. focus on on how it's actually the moral the moral failings of the liberal elite and the ignorance of the working class. Right. Yeah. Like right. that's that's what it's really Which about. is understandable that they have that ignorance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. Right. And yeah. it's so like I mean I don't I um I grew up in the fucking Midwest. You know, I grew up eating Kraft macaroni and cheese, going to chain restaurants. Um, I don't get scared of sandwiches. <laughs> like right. I don't. It never, you know, it never was a thing where I came to New York and I like went to a and just turtled right, I, into, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. Um, I don't. I, and so, like, it's 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 a, it's not it's not only uncontroversial, but it's banal to say that the upper middle class has its own sort of signifiers. Like that's yeah. But to a to attribute like. Um, to attribute economic outcomes to those signifiers is insane. It's great. It's great. And, and okay, and one other awesome thing about this is that Megan McArdle uh, <laughs> tweeted tweeted in defense of this column, and I, I think I gotta I gotta do helium for Megan's tweet also. So hang on a sec. So I look at the folks making fun of Brooks and think, quote, "How many of you have taken a genuine working class person to lunch?" <laughs> <laughs> so, now, so now it's become an argument, right? Like all the people who are making fun of Brooks now, now they have Megan McArdle counterattacking, <laughs> saying, "Yeah, well, who who amongst you, right? right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, Like has, if you has, ever if you ever met with a working class person, you'd know they are scared of sandwiches, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 
show show me the person that you've taken to, uh, the the high yeah. school educated person you've you've given a baguette to. <laughs> I dare you. This 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 column is going to live uh live on for a while, I think. Um Yeah, but... I want um I want his working class friend to write a column uh like a book. A book, yeah. Yeah. Like, um, my I'll, Sandwich Nightmare. My Sandwich Nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Like, either bookers, like, TV bookers should be looking for them to be like... Yeah, yeah, yeah they could have the reality show, Orderers, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, like, a whole bunch of high school-educated people, and they, they t- take them to, like, the, 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 the most pretentious French restaurants in the, in the country yeah, exactly. and see how they yeah. handle it, right? It could be, like, uh, like Jer- Jersey Shore or something like that. Um, it really and uh, it actually it actually really it it drives me crazy like how he really takes so you know we we know I don't know if everyone knows but we know that in his famous book Bubbles in Paradise he he told fabrications about the the anecdotes he was using about you know he he what did he say like a salad bar at Applebee's or something he like he he made up things that would be easily provable about like going to the hinterlands the like sub- the suburbs and going to chain restaurants like he hasn't set foot in these places but, but but he also like he's doing this weird upper middle class version of that now where he thinks his hyper specific milieu is this entire professional class and like the way that people in you know suburban dc go to restaurants is like why there's no social mobility right like these like, right, right, these, right, things right. Are, these things are meaningless to even to people who make six figures right. for the most part yeah <laughs> like, no absolutely yeah i'm like you I, I grew up eating like you know hormel yeah uh corned beef hash and stuff like that and i I'm annoyed by pine nuts and you know <laughs> stuff like that. I don't like to eat that kind of thing. I, I just think he, he's overstating how how much you know the educated classes are are into this stuff. I don't I don't think it's really true, or or is it? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe maybe we're wrong and David Brooks is right about everything. Yeah, <laughs> it's possible. And what is this? What is this thing about how educated people tend to live in places like Portland, New York, and San Francisco? You know, as Hamilton points out. Uh, you know he's he's making <laughs> he's making a case about zoning restrictions that happens to only reference the three most easily stereotyped liberal cities. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. This is where the educated classes are. Right. They're in the three cities that are the easiest to make fun of for being liberal. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Not not that there aren't schools. Yeah. There are no there are no uh, educated upper middle class people in Houston. Right. Or, <laughs> or Chattanooga. Or yeah. 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 yeah like you ridiculous. don't find any of them in, in Ames, Iowa. So this is the sec also I gotta I have to give him a disdue. He's he's stumped me by name dropping a foreign person twice in a row now. Yeah he has, yeah. 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 So I don't know who uh Chang Tai Si is. Um an economist. He's an economist. We should almost maybe take up a guess to see you like. know, write in if you can guess which which, which- Pretentious, uh, pretentious name drop. Will Matt have trouble with next week? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. How, who, 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 who is Brooks going to name drop, and and which one will I have trouble with? <laughs> yeah. Alex and I have talked about this a lot, uh, sort of, you know, between ourselves uh, over the years. But um, basically, these these police misconduct videos have gotten to the point where, in order for them to go viral there like has to be a twist to them now yeah it can't just be a, like a standard video of of police harassing 
uh, a, a black person. Like there has to be some extra element to like get it over that viral edge because we're just so grindingly used to seeing these uh, humiliating interactions, like normal humiliating interactions. Right. The humiliation needs to go the extra mile to like get our attention. Right. Yeah. There ha- there has to be something like like kinkily awful about them in order in order for the internet to take notice anymore and it's uh it's gotten really strange so th- this week uh what, what did we have we had we had the incident was in where in orlando in orlando florida yeah it was um i think the first black state attorney in florida history uh, uh apologies if i'm mispronouncing any of her name but uh, aramis ayala um and she was pulled over by cops in orlando and this is the the video from the the cops uh, uh, body cam. You're good. <clears throat> what agency are you with? I'm the state attorney. Okay. All right. Thank you. Your tag didn't come back. Never seen that before. Um, I'm sorry? Yeah. We're good now. We ran the tag. It, I've never seen it before. A Florida tag. It's never come back to anything before. <clears throat> so that's the reason for the stop. Who was the tag run I'm sorry. What was the tag run for? So th- this part of the video is is great because well, it's not great. It's horrible. But the it's so classic because first of all, she's she's a lawyer and she's she immediately thinks correctly. Yeah. Why why was the why were you running my tag? Yeah. Yes. And, yeah. And, and, and uh, <laughs> like he thought he thought the explanation was sufficient that oh something weird happened when we ran your when we ran your tag. Yeah. We ran your, <laughs> we, we 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 got nothing. We we ran your tag yeah. and nothing came up. So naturally we had to investigate to make sure that you weren't you know that you, I don't that know you existed and then Amelia <laughs> Earhart or whatever you yeah. know. Uh, yeah. Exactly. And so they 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 give her this bullshit story thinking that it's going to go over and she asked the totally rational question like well, wait a minute why were you running your tag and it's so clear that they weren't they weren't ready for oh, step no, two yeah he didn't have an answer yeah, yeah he wasn't ready yeah what was the tag run for i'm sorry what was, the, what was the tag run for oh we run tags all the time whether it's the traffic lights and, and that sort of stuff that's how we figure out if you know cars are stolen and that sort of thing also the the windows are really dark i don't have a tent measure wait, but can we stop here also so the, the, there's another moment in this video that's that's awful, and unfortunately you can't see it. But the other cop is clearly on the other on the passenger side of the car, and she's nervous about him uh, in the middle of this interaction. And she looks over his way, and you can see the cop's body cam lifting over the car. Because he wants to make sure that his partner isn't doing something even worse than he's doing oh, God. Yeah, at, at, yeah. That, at that moment. Yeah. Uh, and and then he goes back to talking to her and uh, in in giving his crazy explanation of how we just run tags all the time because that's what we do. Also, the, the windows are really dark. I don't have a tent measure, but that's another reason for the stop. Right. Do you guys have cards on you? Yeah. One second. Actually, this isn't my car, but I can write my name down. Like... <clears throat> My name is John Smith. Yeah. <laughs> the tint answer is really like he looked he looked over the entire car and was like, Why did I what is my yeah. tail light? No, they're no taillights are fine. Right. Like uh your windows are dark. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. So this is what body this is what body cameras are gonna get us. They're gonna get us uh embarrassing um videos of cops doing things that they that they shouldn't again what's amazing about this is that they've they've run out of ordinary civilian 
people to harass and now and now the kinds of the, the, these videos that are surfacing are, are are of black people in the law enforcement apparatus. yeah exactly yeah people who are who are part of law enforcement and, and the criminal justice system are now yeah because there's no more and didn't we had we had another one just a couple of weeks there was ago, another one right? last week yeah in st louis a black off-duty cop um was Shot by cops. <laughs> was shot by a cop. Um, he, right. So there's the twist, right? <laughs> yeah. There's a the twist. Yeah. Right. It's not. He's not just. It's not just a black guy that shot. It has to be a right. Exactly. Yeah. So they were. Yeah. Officers were responding to a possible car theft. After. Oh God. This is. I didn't even see this part. This part is like even more horrible. After a recognition. Oh no. It's okay. Officers responding to a possible car theft after a recognition software flagged a license plate. So software says we might have a car thief here. First of all, th- I, th- this part is crazy. I learned about this when I went to uh, Camden like three or four years ago. That they, ha- that they have this crazy space age technology that reads your license plate as you as you drive by, and then like records how many times you come in and out of certain neighborhoods. And if you if you enter quote unquote high crime neighborhoods, that's probable cause to pull you over oh all of a sudden. God. So it's like yeah. Anyway, go ahead. So anyway, uh, officers responded. They asked the uh, 38-year-old off-duty cop to get on the ground, and he complied. But then they recognized him, and they told him to stand up. And so they recognize. They're like, "Oh, you're a cop. So I guess we won't like abuse you." Um, so he gets up, and then after he gets up, an- another cop arrives and sees a black guy standing up and walking towards cops. Uh, so naturally, they had to shoot. So he, he, of course, he shoots him in the arm. He just right. shoots him in the arm. Right. And uh, we should play. So the the guy who got shot. His lawyer was on the local TV and he had an incredible quote. This happens to be the first time in the national discourse that we're aware of a black professional or a law enforcement officer himself being shot or treated as an ordinary black guy on the street. I think he's right. I get <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's uh, it's crazy that he had to put had, that he, they had to put it that way. But yeah, that's yeah. it's funny that, you know, we went through this period where where these videos were attracted everybody's attention, right? Yeah. You know, we had one after the other, um, you know, whether it was uh, Eric, Eric Garner, Michael, Michael Brown, Sandra Bland, um, Laquan McDonald, yeah. also in Chicago, all these things. But now, it, you know, they just don't circulate unless, unless there's like a comic twist to it, which is crazy. Yeah. So, yeah. If you had to... Uh, <laughs> If you had to describe the Russia story as a kind of burger, <laughs> what what kind of burger? This is a fun game I like to play. Called what kind of burger what is the What kind of burger? <laughs> what what kind of burger? Well, we know what kind of burger it no longer is. It, yeah. This is a developing story. I don't know much about it other than it seems to be on the end of the Trump individual. It's a big nothing burger, but may spin out of control for the DNC and the Democrat. So that's Rince Priebus. You know, he's saying it's a nothing burger, but Eric Bowling begs to differ. Mm-hmm. I think Rince Priebus called it a nothing burger on the weekend. I have a real problem with this. Mm. This is an insult to nothing burgers. <laughs> uh, nothing Caesar salad. Oh, wow. All right. uh, no, wow. I didn't, I didn't even catch that. Uh, <laughs> so this is what's, what's really strange about this is that there, there's been this weird like social media battle over the, 
over what is and isn't. An, and like, if you want to get in an argument really, really quick on the internet, just call anything a nothing burger, and somebody will yeah will, will pop up and say that's not a nothing burger. But Russia is not the only nothing burger. There was another nothing burger. Right. <laughs> Hillary Clinton could tell us about the other nothing burger. It's the way that uh, the use of uh, my email account was uh, turned into, you know, the biggest scandal since Lord knows when. And, you know, I'm just, in the book, I'm just using every uh, everything that anybody else said about it besides me to basically said this was the biggest nothing burger ever. And she wasn't the only one to use that term, right? No. Uh, who else do we have? We have we got Van Van Jones, but he was caught. This is this is an undercover nothing burger, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, a sting, nothing burger sting, a nothing burger sting. What do you think is going to happen this week? I mean, with the whole Russia thing. Uh, the Russia thing is just a big nothing burger. Really? <laughs> <laughs> so it's so in the 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 nothing burger sting was was so newsworthy that uh, Van Jones had to go on. Anderson Cooper and explain his use of the term nothing burger on an undercover camera. So when on the tape you say that the Russian investigation was a big nothing burger, what do you mean? I meant for progressives to keep jumping up and down about this doesn't make a lot of sense because you've got a bunch of us who are acting as if this guy's going to be impeached tomorrow, that Trump is going to be impeached and he's going to be gone. Listen, for, from a political point of view, if you're looking honestly, you do not have the ability to both impeach and remove this guy. So from a political point of view, it's a nothing burger. All I right. like that. That was a good pivot. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah. Because <laughs> he, he, what he, what he, what he, you know, he starts off, it sounds on tape that he's basically saying the whole thing is, is, is nothing. But, but actually what he's saying is politically. Politically, it's a nothing burger. Politically, it's a political, it's a, politi- it's a political nothing burger as opposed to a true nothing burger. Right. Yeah, exactly. In terms of its veracity. It's not. A, it's not. It's not a. It's not a, a, an untrue burger. What kind of burger would that be? Uh, <laughs> wait. So a nothing burger. Does that imply untrue? Or does it just? It doesn't imply untrue. Like it. Like it implies it's a thing. A lack that, of substance. A lack of substance to it. Right. Right. Yeah. So I think a, a non-substantive burger. A non-substantive burger. Right. Of course. So uh, the sort of like you know lunatic right has. Um, you know, starting to have fun with the whole nothing burger thing, and they're 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 making their own like cooking shows about nothing burgers. Welcome back to Cooking with Kitty. Today we're going to make a delicious Russian nothing burger with a side of lies. I mean fries. This recipe was sent in to me by the disgraced news company CNN. Let's get started. First, we're going to take two all-American buns. I personally like sesame seeds. Yum. Okay, and now we have to make yeah, our so that it's a it's a video with a cat and the cat's just really disturbing and and that's disturbing. I, I, this is the 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 messaging around this video has me. All right, the dem, the the lying media is making a nothing burger out of Russia. Is that the message of the video? Right. It's a okay. it, it's a it's a nothing burger, but that it has Russia in between. Yeah, because like the the burger was like labeled Russia, which like right. you know, it's hard to label the a lack of something. Right. Yeah, exactly. What were they writing on? Yeah. <laughs> right? You need something. Well, now we're I mean, this is zen at this point, I think. What uh It's very meta yeah. the whole thing. Yeah. Actually, this is kind of one of my to switch to being serious about this. It, it, it's one of my frustrations about this story, and and lots of political stories now is that everything is either totally, you know, the be all end all, meaningful, 
something or it's completely useless and worthless, right? Yeah. Like the media landscape is cleaved completely in half now. And like the kind of nuanced take on things is like gone, you know? I, I love Matt Taibbi <laughs> like saying that we need the nuanced take on things. <laughs> that's like the greatest, that's the greatest takeaway here. Oh my God. Like, All right. I, sh- I, I, I should be, I should be shot on site for that. that this is, that's the headline. <laughs> Taibbi says, where's the nuance? That's gone? right. Where's the nuance? Yeah. Oh my God. I'm I mean, getting old. That, <laughs> that was that, bad. It's, it is that, um, so people like to say Twitter broke our brains, but uh, like we have a president whose brain was broken by cable news. Like it was, right. it was broken by cable news. Um, and it's always been impossible to have any sort of substantive, um, description with the right context of any news that's more complex than a, than a police chase. Right. You know, like <laughs> the yeah, yeah, cable yeah, news, definitely. cable news is sophisticated enough to handle a police chase and like nothing more sophisticated. Right. And even then they're, they're sort of missing the broader story about policing. Right. Yeah, of course. <laughs> you know? Of course. Like yeah. even the police chase is a symptom of something they won't name. Right. Right. <laughs> but, uh, right. 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 Um, but when, when the discourse is now filtered through that medium, then it's impossible. I don't think anyone in the country, including most of the people on these panels could give you a, without having to look it up and do research could give you a sort of like chronological with context rundown of what the Russia story, what the narrative is at this point. Right. You know, like they could give, they could give you the broad strokes. I could give you the broad strokes. Um, but you know, people confidently discussing it, like they don't, they, it's impossible to hold all of it in your head at one time, first of all. Right. Right. Yeah, you know? exactly. Um, no, I mean, uh, uh, actually I'm kind of embarrassed that I've gotten to the point where, where, you know, I, I I am finding myself all the time saying, you know, where's good old like, you know, <laughs> uh, third person, you know, non-opinionated journalism. <laughs> you know, it's it's like it, 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 it's it's uh, whatever, <laughs> whatever happened to fact checkers? Yeah, exa- <laughs> yeah. exactly, exactly. It's no, blocks. it's weird though. Every it's just a bunch of people shouting at each other, and I don't know. It's um, yeah. Duh. But crazy. Do we need to? Uh, do we need to have a ban on nothing burger? Yeah, rhetoric we need. For... Everyone needs to eliminate nothing burger from their vocabulary. I think I've used nothing burger in in a column before, and I, I pledge not to do it. Yeah, uh, I I too pledge. Not, yeah, not not with the story, but but just generally, I'm just not going. to. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, this is not a ban on using it in relation to Russia. This is a a pledge not to use the term. Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah. From now on, all burgers are something. All right. Well, uh, until next week, uh, yeah. that, that that should do it for the Tarfu report. Now uh, we have to tell people how they can how they oh, can yeah. access our show. Right? Go to tarfu.biz, T-A-R-F-U.biz. That'll take you right to our Patreon, where you can support us and you can find uh, episodes of the show and lots of other content. And uh, you can uh, look for us on Twitter, Twitter at Tarfu report. Uh, and if you go to our Patreon, you'll see you can uh, support us by sending a little money our way. Uh, we're going to do a free show every week. There'll be lots and lots of great free content for everyone. Lots of laughs, lots of lots of uh, serious analysis. Uh, but if you uh, uh, become a subscriber, you get even more show. You get almost uh, the an entire second show every week. Yeah, and we're going to be interviewing lots of lots of interesting people. We've got uh, coming just this week. We're going to have uh, Charlie Pierce, Governor Jesse Ventura. Uh, and Hamilton Nolan and, mm-hmm. uh, and some other folks next week. And so, um, check it out. 